0: Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We are your hosts, Justice Stout and Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At RenewtheArts.org, you can see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you like what we're doing, please support our efforts by joining our patron community and perhaps sponsoring a podcast episode. For more details, visit our website or reach out via email. We'd like to thank Carrie and Kevin Watts for becoming patrons of Renew the Arts and supporting our work and supporting this podcast episode. Bob Dylan was called a prophet of his generation, and very often musicians and artists seem to have the best understanding of their times,
1: and where their times are headed. But did you know that the prophets in the Bible are also very closely associated with the arts? It may surprise you how the calling of prophet in the Bible would look most like a calling to the arts today. This episode is The Art of Prophecy.
0: tell that this is going to be
1: a good episode. I've seen it. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> oh my. You don't know the torture that I have to put up with people. What, from me? When you and Rusty are together or when it's just you, it's just th- the jokes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: But this episode is about prophecy, about foresight, foretelling the future. Um, if you trade stocks, I highly suggest making it to the end. Uh, no, that's not, that's not exactly what prophecy is. In fact, uh, right off the bat, we should probably start off by defining what, we, what we're talking about here by prophecy. So, um, I'm going to do that, and actually most of this episode will be led um, by a selection from a book we've quoted before. The title is Imagine... A Vision for Christians in the Arts. It's written by Steve Turner. Um, We quoted this one in Go Bleep Yourself, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a section here uh, on page 76, if anyone happens to have this book, or if you want to find this section later. And uh, so we're going to talk about the uh, association of the prophetic ministry with that of the artistic ministry. And this is what, um, starting at page 76, this is what Steve Turner writes. The final type of Bible writing that inspires artists is prophecy. Today, there is an expectation that art can be prophetic in both senses of the word. It can anticipate the future, and it can challenge society's morals. Because artists are not so bound to conventional patterns of thinking, they tend to adopt today the lifestyles of tomorrow. The phrase avant-garde literally means vanguard, those who go ahead of the main party to check out the territory. Ezra Pound, himself part of the literary avant-garde, who once boasted that, quote, artists are the antenna of the race, observed that, quote, artists and poets undoubtedly get excited about things long before the general public. This is also an assumption that artists will tend to prick the pretensions of those in power, call attention to injustice, and attack untested assumptions about behavior. So, Right off the bat, uh, being a prophet of a generation or prophesying about a time, it's not so much about telling the future, it's about observing patterns and uh, seeing clearly the way that a society exists and what that means about it, that society's future.
1: Right, and and this was something even the prophets in the Old Testament, or maybe even especially the prophets in the Old Testament were responsible to do. Um, When you look at the prophets and you think, "Okay, thus says the Lord," that's like the that's the main thing that the prophets regularly said right before they, uh, you know, gave their proclamations. Mm -hmm. Almost always, that's connected to this uh, this word "kara" or "call," like call upon or call against or call concerning um, so and so, and it's a heralding. Mm -hmm. Like that's very much connected to this idea of a heralding. And you could even say it's connected in the New Testament to the idea of preaching, the Keruso of preaching, and the Kera of the Old Testament are very similarly connected. And um, that wasn't always uh, a telling of the future, like a, when we think prophecy, we oftentimes think you know telling of the future. Right. But oftentimes that was just a, a, an accurate telling of the present. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what things look like from God's perspective right now. Right. And then oftentimes connected to that based on what things look like right now let me tell you where things are headed unless there is repentance or unless there is a change you know right and so i think that the the meat and the heart of the prophetic ministry as one of my professors puts it was not so much foretelling as forthtelling that they were they were telling forth whatever god had to say through them concerning the people of that time or or where things were headed right. based on where things were.
0: Right. And uh, we'll get to this section a little later on, but I wanted to just pull this one sentence out um, from later on in the passage of the same book. But the idea that the, the prophets express God's feelings about per- particular behavior, predicting results of obedience and disobedience, mm-hmm. foretelling events in both near and distant future. So in a big sense the role of prophet is the ability to say your disobedience is going to cause these results they're going to have these consequences these ramifications and the uh, same thing goes for obedience like mm-hmm. if you turn if you obey god like, then these things will happen then come. these things will happen mm-hmm. different things will happen these kind of blessings will come
1: yeah and and oftentimes that is that is the the responsibility of the prophet and you would even think well was that because of the spirit upon that particular person or had God gifted that person with insight mm-hmm. or even with circumstances that put them on the fringe of society to some extent, mm-hmm. uh, like he was talking about? Um, you know, I think there's got to be a combination of those two things mm-hmm. uh, that, that it's not it, – it shouldn't be thought of just as like, here's just a, a – this is just a template human you know, as if there was such a thing, mm-hmm. and then God pours this particular thing onto him or puts this particular thing. It's, it, it goes back to the very question of, you know, did Adam name the animals what they were, or did he name the animals according to what they were, right? So, like, did his names make them what they were, mm-hmm. or did he name them because of what they already were? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, it's probably something of both. Mm-hmm. That both their identity and where they were going was was uh, was affected by his naming, but also his naming was informed by where they already were or what they already were. Right. And I think the prophets have to be similar to that, that you you have to think that God has gifted particular people with particular skills that then he augments and and they cooperate with him in those skills, and then through the power of the Spirit, are able to deliver, these powerful uh, pronunciations uh, concerning their, their generations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that you might already be thinking as a listener, what exactly does that have to do with the arts? And you're in luck because we are going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, continuing on in this section, in, yeah. uh, this
0: conception of the artist as prophet is derived from the biblical model, but artists weren't v- viewed in this light until the Romantic period. The main reason for the change was the book Lectures on the Sacred Poetry of the Hebrews from 1753 by the theologian Robert Loth, L-O-W-T-H, which influenced poets such as William Blake. One of Loth's conclusions was that the Hebrew word nabi, translated as prophet in the King James Version, could equally well mean poet or musician. And here's a block quote from Loth's work. It is sufficiently evident that the prophetic office had a most strict connection with the poetic art. They had one common name, one common origin, one common author, the Holy Spirit. Those in particular were called to the exercise of the prophetic office who were previously conversant with sacred poetry. It was equally part of their duty to compose verses for the service of the church and to declare the oracles of God. Genuine prophets were people who passed the words of God on to the people. They expressed his feelings about particular behavior, predicted the results of obedience and disobedience, and foretold events in both the near and distant future. They were not always popular figures. Mm-hmm. In
1: fact, I would say that's a, a little bit of an understatement. A little bit of an understatement. I mean, Jesus said, "Particularly, which of the prophets have you not persecuted? Which yeah. of the prophets have you not martyred?"
0: I almost, I really wanted to name this episode "How to Not Kill a Prophet." <laughs> or something like, it's like that. It's
1: harder than it sounds.
0: It is historically speaking much harder than it than it sounds like it would be.
1: Well, and it's interesting too, Jesus points this out when he says that you build monuments to the prophets your fathers killed. Mhm. And there is this idea and and we want to think ourselves better than this. We really 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 do when we say, "Man, if a if a Van Gogh came in my generation, I wouldn't have rejected him like everybody else did. You know, mm-hmm. or if uh if a prophet came in my generation, a great prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or any of those guys, oh man, I would be one of the ones on their team. Right. Right? Probably not. That that's just you sort of just have to take a really hard look at yourself. Mm-hmm. We have to take a hard look at ourselves and recognize that the natural response to a prophet is Not positive, it's negative. That you, you, it's, it's like just think about it in these terms. In order for you to grow into the person God wants you to be, you need to change, and it doesn't matter who you are. You have to change, Mm -hmm. and a prophet is sort of God's messenger to you, to teach you exactly the areas in which you need to change, and the areas that you need to repent. That's not going to be a popular figure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically like if, if there were a person who were directly called to you to diagnose everything that's wrong with you top to bottom, is that a person that you're really going to be a big fan of, generally speaking? <laughs>
0: you so, know, I should call that guy. I should call that guy. <laughs> right. that's, why, that's why prophets and artists are typically at the outskirts of society. Because They're put there. Well, they're put there and that's that's the place where you need to be to have that perspective. So in some senses, acclaim in a society or, or success within a certain society almost certainly will blind you to the problems of that society since you've done so well in it, mm-hmm. you don't you're not very willing to look for the problems of the society because that right. might undermine your own success. Oh, right. Or yeah. you're just blind to it because you're, you're focused on the progress of, of what you're doing instead of seeking out the injustice of whatever society you happen to be
1: in. It's not, I mean, it's not even going to be on your radar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the proverb the, the rich is wise in his own eyes, but the poor with understanding sees through him. Um, the poor is able to see better what's wrong with a particular society than a rich man is able to see. Because, of course, a rich man is going to say, I think society is pretty well-ordered. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's at least well-ordered for me. Mm-hmm. And that's oftentimes what you hear from a lot of the, the people who are pro-anything in a particular society. It's like, well, it was of benefit to me. Mm-hmm. It did good to me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it would be painful for me to empathize with those who have been harmed by this policy or by this uh, structure um, because, I, like you said, you know, I might lose my position. I might lose my position of power or my position of wealth or my position of prestige mm-hmm. if I were to start to address these things. So, it's best yeah. just to ignore them. The prophet comes in and says, I don't actually have the power, prestige, or possessions to care whether these structures survive. Mm-hmm. And I'm and, able to just observe right. how from, these structures exist from the bottom. From the bottom, right. There's, you can see a lot from the bottom. In some ways, you see more from the bottom than you do from the top. That's, I think, the point of that proverb. Um, that's not to say that the poor are of necessity people of understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many people who have suffered greatly who have been blinded by its bitterness, but um, it, it's it's definitely the case that the, that the poor, with understanding, has a much greater chance of seeing a bigger picture on what's going on in the world mm-hmm. uh, than the rich uh, do. Wasn't there the proverb? Did you already quote it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, quoted it. Blanked Signed out. That's Blanked out good. for a second. It's all good. I understand. Um, <laughs> so... So, he talks about this. Why would we make this case that the, that the prophetic ministry and the artistic ministry is very closely associated in the Old Testament? He makes the same claim. Mm-hmm. What's the... Uh, what's some backing what's the backup? on that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, let's look into that.
1: He continues on.
0: This is not the place for a debate about whether the gift of prophecy continues today, but the actions of the prophets do suggest possibilities to artists. Like artists, they appear to have existed on the margins of society, which is what we were just saying. Mm -hmm. Perhaps by not being at the center of things, they were able to keep a sharper perspective. There is also a close relationship between music and prophecy, almost as if the playing of music prepared the mind to be receptive to God's message. The company of prophets who meet Saul at Gibeah are playing lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps, which is in 1 Samuel 10.5. So there seems to be, um, yeah, Did, didn't we even talk further about the association of music and prophecy? Yeah. Because it's not just that... that it's uh, not just 1
1: Samuel 10. You have the, the issue of uh, Elisha. Right, uh, right, right, Yeah, in 2 Kings 3.15, Elisha... 3.13. 3.13, oh, sorry. Um, he, he meets up with the uh, king of, of Israel and the king of Judah at the time. And he respects Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat uh, was at least mostly uh, faithful. And so, he says, I will prophesy for you. And in 313, or, uh, or I think it's in 315, where he says, bring me a minstrel. Right. And that's what he says, bring me a harpist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's almost like that's the, that's the predicating environment into which I will prophesy. Like, I'm not gonna prophesy to you unless you bring me a harpist. Bring right. me a harpist first and then I'll prophesy for you. And then you also see this in uh, First Chronicles.
0: 25.1.
1: Yeah, 25 where, where David and the ar- army officers set apart uh, particular musicians. And there's a very strange construction there because it says that they were set apart to prophesy on the harp mm-hmm. or to prophesy on the lyre or to prophesy... Um, on the symbols, and some translations will say to prophesy with, meaning accompanying, the harp or the whatever, which even in itself produces a very close relationship between the music that's being played mm-hmm. and the prophet who's prophesying. And um, but the um, it could I mean it's the the it's the preposition in that's actually being used there. So in the harp or in or on. Right Uh, is is probably a better translation, and that's what the actually prophesied using using the instrument. So it wasn't that he prophesied and also had a harp that was playing. Right, it was that he prophesied through through the the harp music, or 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 at least alongside the harp music. That the harp and the prophecy were very much interconnected, interconnected enough where it's mentioned in this close association, and um, that's not uncommon. Like that th- those are a few explicit you know mentions where it's like, well, it's almost as if the prophet's like, "I'm not going to prophesy without music. What are you crazy? Bring me a yeah. harpist you and, know?
0: It, and, and it seems, it sounds so so strange to us, especially in the context of the Bible, but like the prophet that we mentioned already in the teaser, uh, Bob Dylan, you know what I mean? Like if you were at a social event or speaking to a politician or mm-hmm. something, and someone's like, "Speak to me of your generation." he'd be like yeah, bring oh, me a guitar bring
1: me a guitar <laughs> bring me a minstrel and i'll do it
0: <laughs> and that makes it's like oh well yeah because he's a guitarist right uh and it, and it makes a ton of sense whenever you actually start applying it uh in the ways that you know that we see that we actually yeah yeah if bob dylan is going to prophesy he's going to do it with a guitar right and probably a very And loud probably harmonica.
1: never never not with right and And that's actually what you see in the teaching of Jesus. What do you mean? It says specifically, explicitly, he never taught them without using a parable. Oh, right, right, right. Not necessarily music. Not necessarily music, but the story story was actually integrally associated with his teaching ministry. Um, And also all the signs Mm -hmm. that were accompanying his teaching ministry as well. And he performed the signs in different ways depending on what was being communicated to the people. Right. Um, And so, you know, it was on the Sabbath, heals a blind man, he spits on the ground. Mm -hmm. And then he takes that mud and he puts it on the eyes of, of the blind man. Why did he spit on the ground? Why did he need the mud? What was, I mean, was it like, you know... Did he special mud? Did, did he put the little cucumbers on top of it? You know, and lay him back down <laughs> with a towel on the guy's head. Like, what exactly? Why did uh, he need these things? Yeah. What What exactly was being done there? Well, if you look into the Sabbath laws that had been hedged around the Sabbath um, by the uh, Pharisees, you see that they considered spitting into the dirt a a plowing that you were plowing the dirt, which was not allowed. You weren't mm. allowed to plow on the Sabbath. And, and spitting so into the dirt, in the dirt was considered the dirt. a plowing of the dirt, and so that sort of—I don't know if you would consider it a um, a gesture of antagonism by Jesus, but it certainly is very much. I, I, he's willing to nod. skirt on the on the mm-hmm. on the controversy of it um, concerning their their Sabbath hypocrisy.
0: And I mean, the same thing happens whenever he heals the the, the crippled man laying on the bed. It's, and that was on the Sabbath. It's like the same idea. It's right. like, uh, which is worse? Mm-hmm. Would it be
1: better for me to... To do nothing? To do nothing right. in this case. And, and, and with, he explains how their interpretation of the law is wrong by healing. Right. You know, so, the, so all those signs are significant. When you look in the Old Testament, you see that the, there's a shadow of the signs that Jesus performed... In Elisha and in Elijah, Mm -hmm. um, when you read about all those signs, you're supposed to think this is not just something that happened. This is not just history. God was doing something through this specific sign that is designed to teach you something. And the sign itself...
0: Uh, it's not just that it was a miraculous event, but there's meaning. It's yeah. saturated it's with meaning. It's
1: saturated with some kind of meaning. And mm-hmm. and it's not always easy to tell what it is, but that's the power of art. Mm-hmm. Um, you, po- the Art invites you to contemplation and to meditate, and it raises important questions. And you need to dig into the cultural context and the historical context and all these other things in order to get a better idea of what some of these signs mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, it's, it's almost never the case that any of the miraculous signs didn't actually have either an explicitly mentioned or at least implicit and able to be discovered meaning behind them, something they were pointing to. Right. And so, what is that? I mean, we talked about this in the What is Art episode, that mm-hmm. the, one of the central ideas of art is its significance, is orientation around signs, that it is a material arrangement, that points to a spiritual reality or a, or a non-material reality, mm-hmm. and um, especially when it comes to the Christian arts and to the prophetic arts within Christianity, the the sign orientation is something I think that's really important there. Yeah. Um, and then music and poetry. I mean, seriously, guys. Like, well, this is a problem because I I talked to somebody one time. Um, and it was about two or three years ago, I talked to a guy and I was talking about how the prophets were, you know, the major and minor prophets were usually poetry, like mm-hmm. most of that is poetry. And and he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's poetry. Like <laughs> It's actually written as poetry. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the genre is. of the prophets is poetry. And and they were poets. That's what they did. And he mm-hmm. was like, I don't, I don't think that's true. And at that point, it's kind of just like, I, I don't even know what to do for you. You know what I mean? Like, uh uh, how basic does this have to be? So there is so like open up the Bible, right? You see how these words are are are, are broken organized
0: into lines into lines and yeah.
1: No, even that he was like, well, that wasn't necessarily in the original, and so it's like, okay, well, let me get out, uh, you know, Robert Alter's, you know, biblical poetry book and 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 show you how there's you know highly imagistic uh, parallelism and all these other things that mm-hmm. that will that will locate this very deeply in in the realm of. Um, of poetry, but it's sort of like that's the work that we're at. I mean, that's the place that we're at in I the mean, church. I mean, would you challenge
0: the Psalms in the same way? Be like, the Psalms are songs. It's like I don't think so.
1: Yeah, it's I like don't. well, I mean, it says a song. Well, maybe that was the wrong translation.
0: Well, yeah. but it's broken up into lines and it has
1: imagery. It's like no, nah. no, nope, don't believe that. It's like, <laughs> all right, well, uh we're at an impasse here. Uh, so that's sort of where we're at, though, in the church. That when you start talking about. The fact that all of the prophets, all of them pretty much, I mean, I can't think of a prophet that wasn't using meaningful signs, mm-hmm. so material arrangements that had meanings behind them, mm-hmm. and also uh, meaningful songs, poetry, stories, and parables, etc. It's like, the prophet, none of the prophets came without the arts. Right. Like In they, fact,
0: yeah, that's uh, after bringing up music... Steve Turner goes on to talk about, um, besides speaking, singing, and playing musical instruments, the prophets often performed bizarre acts, which were designed to provoke and shock. Ezekiel laid on his side for a year. Another time, he shaved his head. Jeremiah hid his underwear in a crevice until it rotted and then displayed it as an illustration of how God saw Israel's pride. (laughs) Ahijah tore his cloak into 12 pieces, Hosea married an adulteress to demonstrate how God viewed the unfaithfulness of the chosen people. The list goes on and on. It's, it's, it's actually an enormous list. He didn't mention uh, Ezekiel's bread. That's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. uh, where Ezekiel was called to bake bread over human feces. Ezekiel
1: of all of them, I think, was probably the most... Bizarro. Yeah, and also he had very much like a performance art type approach. Mm-hmm where God's like build a, a small scale version of Jerusalem and then lay siege to it in the presence of the people. It's like really, <laughs> I mean, you think about that, it was like, think about that scene. There's mm-hmm. a sort of like comico tragic, um, I, I just, it, it seems like the bizarro gonzo <laughs> kind of way of going about things, mm-hmm. um, but I love it. I really love it. And then you have Isaiah being told to preach from the pulpit naked, which I'm sure that he was revealing a whole lot more than people wanted him to. Uh, <laughs> this is a, another element of uh, making people uncomfortable. <laughs> <right. through> the, <laughs> the prophets. Right. Now, I'm not saying, because th- this is what people will say. You know, all the prophets were directed specifically by God to do these things. Mm-hmm. And so, let's just be really clear. I am not saying that you should go out and play naked. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. Um, if you're not called to, you're probably not called <laughs> to. Um, you know, if you're convinced that you are called to, I recommend that you uh, change your medications. Um, no, I'm just, anyway, uh, no, that, that's, I'm messing with you. But, but probably those kinds of things, a lot of people would say that those kinds of things, those kinds of special communications uh, directly from God uh, concerning those kinds of signs were shadows and types. Okay, so let's say that that's the case. Even if it were the case, has God given us now less than what he gave us before Jesus? What do you mean by that? Well, there's this attitude where it's like they had all this beauty, all this grandeur, all this material uh, expression to teach them in all these different ways. Mm -hmm. And now after Jesus, we have none of that. Right. Right. And I'm just kind of like, that That doesn't make any sense, guys. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we still have all of that, for one. Mm-hmm. Everything that was done in the Old Testament is still ours. And it's still ours to teach us. It even says that explicitly. Paul says, these things happened as an example so that we might learn all the history, all of the types and symbols, and all of that stuff that was going on in the Old Testament was there for our edification as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, do we not still have songs? Do we not still have visual art? Do we not still have right. all of the, the beauty and the value and the depth of understanding of mm-hmm. the created world and material arrangement that we can draw from in order to teach and express the glory of God to the people around us? I mean, why would we not mm-hmm. use those things yeah, um,
0: especially if there is such an example in Scripture that that they uh, can contribute so much to such a to, to such a ministry as that.
1: Right now, does that mean again that all pastors or all preachers should necessarily, if if the prophets were called to Kara and the New Testament preachers are called to Caruso, does that mean that the preachers of the New Testament must all be artistic in the same way the Old Testament prophets were? No, obviously not. The examples that we have...
0: And it, even in the Old Testament, there, yeah. were,
1: there were preachers and teachers of the law. Totally, yeah. And in fact, Isaiah did that too. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just a poet. Mm-hmm. Isaiah also was apparently such a boring teacher that the, that the people uh, mocked him by saying, all you ever teach is line upon line, precept upon precept. I mean, apparently he, w- he could get really propositional as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no sense in which the one excludes the other. Right. And that's what we always butt up against, too, when we start talking about these things. It's like, you just want to throw sermons out. And I was like, well, I, 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 <laughs> I never, never said, said that. that. I never said that. Yeah. I'm I'm in seminary. I'm training to be a preacher. I'm not going to go naked up into the pulpit and start spouting songs. That's not, not <laughs> what I'm planning on doing. I'm planning on going up there and doing what the people expect of me. But I, I also plan on adding to what we're doing a greater emphasis on the songs mm-hmm. and on the poetry and on stories because i think that those things are really really good to teach and to draw people into relationship with god otherwise god would not have made such an emphasis on those things throughout the scriptures right and and what do they exist for in the first place like if god made all
0: things if he made us as creative beings and if he designed the thing, music, you know, he he created music as as a thing that could be made mm-hmm. or as a thing that could be explored. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to ask for what purpose, and um, seeing all these examples in the Old Testament and even recognizing it in our, in our own times, like we said with like Bob Dylan or whoever the artist is that really speaks clearly to the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can go for movies, like so many movies, just hit hit the nail on the head as far as the the you know current current temperature, and and what that means about the future, or what that means about our hearts, mm-hmm. and um, it just seems it just seems so obvious. It seems so obvious to say, well. Uh, Use of music, use of film, use of storytelling, these things always go along with a proclamation of the truth or with, um, you know, a good storyteller is someone who understands human nature, who sees clearly what's going on, and who can speak in truth into the situation and
1: probably extrapolate where things are going. And all of the stories and all of the signs and all of the songs and all of the music are are designed to carefully explore the way things are and to give you also a framework for hearing and receiving the good news of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, the Old Testament is long, and the time of the Old Testament is long. I mean, if you take the Old Testament's timing... Like, like the four, amount of time it yeah, spans. Yeah, four thousand years mm-hmm. before Jesus came. Four thousand years is a long time. Yeah, it's a long period of time. God, do you really think God would have had this story go for such a long period of time if there wasn't some really good stuff in there? <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, uh, uh, that's I, I, a very long movie. That's a very you could probably long, cut it down. Yeah, man, no. Nope. He went. He went like one hundred percent Peter Jackson on this one. <laughs> um, Anyway, I, I, so I, I just think that's a really important thing to think about. And oftentimes our, and I write about this in my book, oftentimes the errors that we have concerning the arts and the church are connected to the errors we have concerning our doctrine of history.
0: Yeah. And that, that reminds me of the, the title of a podcast that I want to do eventually, which is that uh, things saying things simply is not always saying things best, mm-hmm. or even saying things shortly isn't always saying things best. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there is a little bit of impatience, especially when we're trying to approach truth
1: or understand truth or... Um, What's the least I could do or the least I could say?
0: Or the most succinct truth statement mm-hmm. that you can give me. And, it, and uh, Flannery O'Connor even talks about um, her friends, she would write a new book and her friends would say, well, what was it about? And it's like, if I could tell you what it was about in a sentence, I wouldn't have written the book. I would have just said the sentence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably very much God's perspective where it's mm-hmm. like, well, what is this about? You know, well, it's about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. Well, it is about that, but that's not really the whole thing. It's and, not and enough just, of it. just saying that isn't going to, you know, saying that isn't the same as reading the book. And for for God to to play out so many events and so many stories and to to roll out history in the way that He did leading up to Jesus and after Jesus uh, is an example that things being short and simple are not always best, and that if you want to approach truth, if you want to understand truth, if you want to perceive truth. Don't expect it to be easy, don't expect it to be simple, and certainly don't expect it to be short. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably uh, one of the strengths of art, artists uh, is that they're, they're willing to take the time to, to write the story and they're willing to take the time to write the song. And,
1: and they're willing also to approach these things obliquely with the understanding that time, that as, the, as the story or as the song or as the piece of art is given time and attention it will start to have an impact over that time mm-hmm. that grows. Um, you yeah. know, and, and that's not to say that there are people, who are like Jonah, you know, he went to Nineveh and he said, you know, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's apparently the entire gospel that Jonah preached. That's all that we have of it.
0: Uh, I never even really thought of that. Um, but
1: uh, <laughs> Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Yeah, that's it. That's all he said. And the people said, oh, well, if that's the case, we believe you, you know, let's, let's repent, let's sackcloth and ashes, put it even sackcloth and ashes on the animals, mm-hmm. you know, and let's, uh, let's, let's, get, uh, let's get humble and, and maybe God will turn away from this that we believe will happen. Yeah. I mean, Jonah didn't even want to be there. Right. Right, so like the, the, the gospel of Jonah is the gospel of a person who did not care mm-hmm. about the people he was preaching to. In fact, opposite, wanted them all to perish. Mm-hmm. And what you have there is the minimum gospel that God has ever used <laughs> to save anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, how much time did you take there, Jonah? How much, uh, did you really, did you, did you flush it out for him? Did you accommodate the listener at all? No. It was effective, though. It was effective because God made it effective. Yeah. And so, I'm not saying that the minimum can't be effective, but especially for those people who feel like the church has not shown them care and attention. Mm-hmm. To go to them and give them a Jonah gospel is, is oftentimes just a, a, a reinforcement of that idea. Mm-hmm. You don't really care enough about me to take the time to address my issues in, 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 a, in a variety of different in, ways. In a nuanced way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's one last chunk here that I want to read from Imagine. In the voices of the prophets, we can hear an anger and condemnation which reminds us of the protest music of the 1960s, the punk rock of the 1970s, and the rap of the 1990s. This music forced society to face up to unpleasant facts about its behavior. British philosopher and historian of ideas R.G. Collingwood, in his essays in the philosophy of art, says... The artist must prophesy, not in the sense that he foretells things to come, but in the sense that he tells his audience, at the risk of their displeasure, the secrets of their own hearts. Mm. And I think that that really...
1: That does sum it up. That kind of sums it up. Do you have the patience, do you have the care and compassion in order to reveal your culture to your culture? Right. You know, and... And honestly, the problem is that the culture is not the main problem. What we have found to be the case, and it is a hard truth, and it's something that I believe people really need to take seriously, the artists that we have found over the 10 or so years that we've been looking for them that have been most neglected and most rejected by the church have had the most profound things to say. And the artists that have been most accepted and most included and most supported by the church in that same period of time have been the ones that are avoiding Difficult anything, subjects. Critique. Criticism. Any kind of criticism or critique that might actually be useful. Now, let there, me tell there, you.
0: There are some exceptions there, but it, 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 it is only the nature of things because what breeds popularity? Not criticism. Mm-hmm.
1: I was telling my kids about this today because we were talking about idolatry. Because we're reading through the Old Testament again, and man, it's it's rough. And it's easy for us sometimes to think, well, I'm not, I don't have like you know, my family totem in the corner that I'm bowing down to every morning, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not an idolater, right? I'm not, I'm not someone who is an idolater. But I wanted to explain to my kids what idolatry was. So I used an example: if you could create your parents in whatever image you wanted, you know, mom and dad, can I have some candy? Sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mom and dad, may I stay up all night? Of course. Mom and dad, can I go play in the street? Absolutely. <laughs> mom and dad, I mean, it's like Tim Keller said that a God who never disagrees with you is a false God. Right. And that that is a very central idea. And that's what I was trying to to, to get my kids, you know, you may not like the parents that you actually have all the time. Mm-hmm. You may not like the rules they give you all the time. But idolatry is attempting to create fake parents so that you can be the same way you are indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And I said, children, if you look at a plant, it's either growing or, and they're like, well, dying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's, no, there's no stasis. Yeah. Life has no stasis. So, idolatry is called death. Folly is called the road to death because folly and idolatry both together say, we don't need to improve. Mm -hmm. The way we are is adequate. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When a prophet comes and says, here's what the real God who actually exists is saying concerning you. I mean, of course it's going to be, don't play in the street, don't eat candy all day long, (laughs) don't stay up all night. Yeah. you know, quit punching your brother in the face, all these other <laughs> kinds of things, you know. But that's what I want to do, and I can create gods in my own image who so we'll authorize that. that. Yeah, And I don't think we recognize that the gods that are being created or being worshipped by the by most of the artists we accept, I mean, I'm just going to say it, they may not be real gods. If they don't challenge you, if, if that God that is being praised in that song isn't challenging you and driving you to Jesus and convicting you of sin mm-hmm. and causing you to be sometimes unsettled, sometimes upset, sometimes diswrought, you know, mm-hmm. well, then it's probably not a real God. Yeah. I mean, it's a God that you've created in your own image in order to give you authorization, legitimacy, and permission to do what you want to do. That's not a real God. Yeah. In our church, uh,
0: pastor, our pastor, will sing some songs and some hymns before the sermon, and he'll get up in the time between and say, I, I want to call to attention a few of these lines. <laughs> and, and it's pretty good, because especially with hymns yeah. that you might have gotten so accustomed to, it's like, do you realize what, what you're saying here? This should make you... Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, yeah. Or this should. Are you sure you're willing to say this? Sister, are, are, are you sure this is what you you believe? Do you live according to this and um and I think that that's a good sign a good a good sign to say, hey uh, church is not about comfort it's about God, and uh God can certainly comfort his people, but so often again, when you look at the Bible, again, when you look at the prophets, mm-hmm. it's about uh reorienting. Popular, popular perception of who God really is and what that means a society is doing wrong and mm-hmm. is doing right. And, and in the case of the prophets, it's usually what they're doing wrong and what they need to change, and that's very difficult.
1: But also, you know, there are the promises, and so I just want to leave this. I've noticed recently there is a spirit in the church where in order to spare ourselves from pain, we rob ourselves of joy. And... It's something I've been thinking about a lot with a lot of different things. That people are willing to forego the most exquisite joys merely to avoid the most insignificant pains. And you see this, you know, concerning children, people's attitude toward children. Like, are they difficult? Yeah, of course they are. But man, the the blessing that comes through children. Is so far outweighing the, the inconveniences of children, mm-hmm. you know. And, I mean, I look at our culture, and it's just like you guys are robbing yourselves from the greatest joys simply because you don't want to go through what really amounts to not significant pains. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are not. It's not. I mean, is it all that difficult to listen to a song that convicts you? I mean, is that really, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is that is that like? And and you know, and instead you're you're just going to replace that with this tiny little joy that's barely even a pleasure. Mm-hmm. I I don't. I mean, we we really need to mature. Mm-hmm. We need to grow up yeah. as a church and recognize that you know we need to put on our, our big boy and big girl pants and just allow God to give us greater joy.
0: And I think part of that is the, is what actually causes the fear of the Lord. I mean, you see this all throughout Scripture, like in Proverbs about you know the wise man fearing the Lord, and uh, it's all over the place to fear God. And you don't fear a God that's going to always be comfortable to you. It's the same idea, you know. And it's like, do we fear the Lord today? Do I fear the? Do I fear the Lord? I I don't. Not nearly as often as I should, and um, and that means that I've probably made God much less fearful to me, and He might look a lot a lot more like justice than He actually looks like God, you know, to me <laughs> in my mind. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're gonna leave you with uh, a little song here. Um, this is a buddy of mine, uh, Drake Lanier. Singing a song called Whitewash Where I think he uh, uh, Puts his finger on a few Contemporary cultural nerves And I think he did a good job with it And I think you might enjoy it And be slightly uncomfortable Hopefully <laughs>
1: Bye. Be a little unsettled
2: You throw out your whitewash And I'll throw out my pride Let's open and expose all that the devil says to hide. And let's shave off these calluses from the things we've tried. And release all the secrets we're taught to keep inside. Cause he is worthy of a flawless bride but he says we are his delight he is worthy of a flawless bride so we should probably try you throw out your white wash and I'll shut my judging eyes let our thanks and our praises now replace our battle cries. And let's stop this unrighteous hatred that's fueled by lies. And let's love all the people religion has despised. he is worthy of a flawless bride but he says we are his delight he is worthy of a flawless bride so we should probably try We should probably try a little harder than attending Sunday service. We'll take the gospel to the streets and let our living be our worship. And instead of pointing fingers, we should find the faults within us. Because we've all got this blood on our hands. And I'm not singing to the world, I'd rather preach it to the choir Cause we're executing murderers and exalting lots of liars When in actuality we're all deserving of hellfire But saved by this blood on our hands Well I'm urging you to hold on to the hope that we profess The promiser is faithful and he keeps his promises. And I promise you, oh my friends, there will be more than this. Not because of our works, but by his righteousness.